I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hey, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. And we have a really amazing episode for you today. It was pretty juicy, and I've actually found myself referring to it several times in conversation over the last couple of days, and just referring to it, you know, in my own mental theater several times as well. So it's with Liana Silver. She is a friend of mine and also the author of the forthcoming book coming out with Sounds True called The Feminine Genius. And Liana calls herself a torch holder for a world to be in which feminine leadership flourishes and the epidemic of women's self-haters has long become absurd. That's good. Isn't it? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, she really stands for a possibility of the world that is not yet present, but that is coming. Liana explains masculine and feminine energy in the most powerful way I've ever read in her book, and then also on the podcast episode as well, she shares. so Should we tell them? I don't know. I kind of want no, them to listen to the episode, because yeah, it's really worth waiting for. It's good. Yeah. So we started off by talking about a dark night of the soul. And kind of our shadow and the darkness and how that can serve us and how it can be embraced and what to do about it when you fall into depression, anxiety, you feel stuck. You know, we've all had these dark nights of the soul. I certainly have. Mike has. We share a little bit about ours. So we start there. Then we wind into motherhood, parenthood, being with all the emotions. And she tells some pretty funny stories about raising her son, Griffin, who's now five. And a lot of other things. Yeah, a lot of other things. It was a good conversation. For those of you that are confused about what Kate just said about the dark night of the soul, I was as well. So I asked more clarifying questions about that. So really dig into that. Some of this stuff is a little bit over my head at this moment. So I just had to really understand a little bit. You asked great questions. From bringing it back down to Mike Watts' level, basically. And near the end of the episode, you'll find out what Mike did a couple weeks ago that made me cry when I shared the story in a good way. Let's tell it now. No. No. Um, So Liana has also, not only has Liana been featured on the Kate and Mike show, Liana has been featured on Forbes, the Huffington Post, and Jezebel. And she and I met in New York City when I was 22. It was quite a while ago. She was working with Regina Thomas Hauer at the Mama Gina School of Womanly Arts. And I was a student at the Mama Gina School of Womanly Arts. And so I met Liana and I thought she was pretty fascinating. Her going away party with her now husband, Nathan, included a pool party at a bar in Times Square at this place called Hotel QT. That's pretty fun. (laughs) It was pretty crazy. So anyway, we had a lot of fun and... The episode's great, so I think you'll really enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, Liana. How's it going? Oh, so happy to be here. So happy to have you here. So as we introduced Liana, we are here with Liana Silver. Hi, Mike. Hello. (laughs) Welcome back to the Kate and Mike Show for those of you that have listened before. We're so happy to have you here. We're so happy to have our friend Liana Silver here. And Liana wrote this great book that is just out called... The Feminine Genius. And I read this book. I soaked it up, read it too late into the night because I was loving it so much. It's really 
for me as someone who's been, you know, in the world of exploration of feminine and masculine energy since my early 20s was the first time I learned that that was a thing. It's really the best articulation I have found of the difference between feminine and masculine energy and how we can integrate them both into our lives and in our bodies. And specifically, Liana, I really loved... Now, I just have to say, Mike, do you want to be more chatty? Because I have a tendency to just dive right in. And I know that sometimes you're like, wow, you just really go for it. So is it okay? Because I'm about to ask her just like to really go for it. No, this is awkward now. Well, no, but I... should just go like... (laughs) Yeah, now it's awkward. So... Great. So, Liana, one of the things that I feel that you articulated the best of anywhere I've ever read is the power of not only the light aspects of the feminine and how those serve us, but also kind of the shadow side and the dark side and the parts that are certainly not celebrated in our culture, not talked about, and how difficult it is to go through life being a woman, A, in a culture that doesn't really support or celebrate the feminine period, but that certainly doesn't celebrate or embrace the darker sides of the feminine. And you talked about your own journey. It was, you know, relatively recent, right? Within the last several years of really kind of going into the underworld. So honestly, even though like I'm just diving right in, I kind of want to start there and hear about your experience because we've all had those dark nights of the soul. And I think we should start in the darkness where everything begins. Well, first of all, thank you for reading my book, you know, reading the pre-copy and just, yeah, sharing, you really, just really hit my heart with your words of kindness with that. Thank you. So the book actually begins, I mean, there's, you know, there's some preamble, but kind of the one we really dive into it, it's this first section called Navigating Your Dark. And I'm a kind of intense person, I think, or serious person a lot of the time. You and are. so That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel a little self-conscious, like, oh, man, she's so serious. Can't we just lighten it up a bit? Liana, can I – I want to ask a question before we start going down this. Please. So when Kate mentioned light and dark, what does that even mean? Like, what are we talking about here? Good question. Great question. So I feel like it's almost self-defined where – Mike, you might have some aspects of yourself or times of your life that feel lighter. They feel, you just feel more expansive. You feel more yourself. You feel more clear, productive, outward facing. We'll we'll say that's before baby. (laughs) Precisely. Yes. And now the dark of the baby. No. (laughs) So, you know, the dark, I think there's some overlap with shadow. So this is super personal. What's in your shadow is way different than often is different than what's in mine, but the dark is kind of times of confusion or illness or depression or uncertainty or sort of before the creative explosion in a creative project, right? It's the fertile void. Is that too woo-woo, Mike? No, yeah, that makes sense. But I will say after baby, yes, there's before baby and after baby. Both of these have come to light, but okay, that makes sense. It puts some substance to a light and dark, like we're not talking about turning the lights on and off in your house. We're talking about (laughs) like when we feel in the flow and then kind of stuff like before, because you hear it a lot of, or we look at like famous artists or something like this that have had a very kind of depression to a certain degree is a lot. You hear those stories a lot of the time. So I can, okay, I'm following what you're talking about now. Yeah, exactly. You know, not to get off topic here, but 
so there's a really cool TED talk. I'm, her name's escaping me, but I think it's Depression and the Spiritual Path. And okay, she we'll marked, find it to link in the show oh, notes. Yes, please. So she you know, she's sharing a personal journey about deep depression. Her and her husband both were in about not being able to conceive a child. And she's also a brain scientist. And so she started to map the brain chemistry of depression and how it's a precursor to spiritual awakening and really not pathologizing this dark time in our lives because it is so linked to the light on the other side. It's beautiful. Yeah, we'll we'll link to that talk. Wow, that's fascinating. We're going to get back to what you were saying in a second. Now that you mentioned (laughs) that, I'm really thinking about, okay, what were the darkest times of my life and were they, in fact, precursors to times of spiritual awakening? Our road trip, yep. For you? No, Uh you. Remember, like... Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like when like we got I together. Was, yeah. in a, I was kind of in a depression and anxiety space. And then yeah. I met and fell in love with Mike. And same thing. I was in a depression space. And then very shortly after that, we conceived Penelope. And yeah, I can totally see that. Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah. Now and then that post-pregnancy and then or post- post-birth. And then now what you're working on now, like it's all, yeah. Yep. It is. It's like part of the cyclical creative process. So, okay. Now that we have the context, we look at those times as being, which you're probably going to talk about here as well, but it's like, we look at those as being negative, right? Right. So, okay. Exactly. So I say a lot of the time, our dark is not a mistake because it feels like it, it feels like, oh, I've done something wrong. I'm feeling badly or you know, I screwed up my life or my relationships, therefore I'm feeling depressed or something's wrong with me chemically, right? So I'm having this depression is punitive. And I suppose that can be the case. I just don't think it's the majority of the case. So one of the things that is just really kind of maps over onto feminine energy is a cycle, right? Is spring, summer, winter, fall, the cycle of the natural world or the cycle of the menstrual cycle. And exactly what you just said, Mike, the cycle of we kind of go through these dark times and then we bloom into a springtime, bloom into the light. Now, you know, just really working with women, there is just, we're just, it, this happens to both genders, to all people, but women in our particular ways are said, don't feel that, don't say that, don't just hide that aspect of yourself. So there's all these parts of ourselves that we hide away and we stuff down and we stuff them into, they become our dark, they become our shadow. And that, of course, eats us alive. It will make us sick in various ways. And so part of this feminine genius journey or just learning to understand what the heck the feminine energy is and how to integrate it with your masculine is the willingness to peer under the bed covers and look at the shadow and be willing to see it for not a punishment, not a mistake, but actually This is a place where, yes, perhaps there's a spiritual awakening on the other side. There is an aspect of your authority and your genius that is only available when you go through that eye of the needle. And it really nearly kills you. Like it really does. There's not, there's, I think we get all these really nice sayings and aphorisms after the dark night of the soul. No one in it. You just don't even have any lips. You just don't have any words. (laughs) So we need the perspective of, you know, coming back out to see the wisdom of it. But regardless, that is where wisdom is born, an aspect of our wisdom. I love that so much. And thank you for presencing that. And can you share about your personal sort of most recent Dark Night of the Soul, which you wrote about so beautifully in the book and I really connected with? 
Do you mind sharing some of that? Oh, I'd love to. You know, what is really interesting too, is I wrote my book proposal about a year before that dark night of the soul, which I'll speak about it. Wrote the book proposal, gave it to a friend of mine who's a proposal doctor, author himself, very, you know, great eye. And he's like, yeah, it's good. This whole section on the dark is kind of flat. I suggest <laughs> you, you know, jerk. I suggest I, you sink into a depression. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry. Mm. And of course that's what happened. And so it's a complex set of reasons. I don't know if we need to go about the reasons they were spiritual. They were biological. They it happened right after I, stopped breastfeeding my son and I Mm. did it really well, but there is a hormonal shift that had a cascade in my system that was really intense. So it was definitely biochemical, physical, physiological, spiritual. And I had, I call them crashes and I would have them for three to 10 days at a time. And just crazy stuff. I would wake up and I could tell this day looks different. And I really had no control of my emotions. I would have these sort of shaking attacks. I started to feel like I was terrible and toxic and ugly and worthless. And I was like, I always feel this way. I had insomnia where I would wake up in the middle of the night at 4 a.m., not going be able to go back to sleep and just days upon days upon days and doctors upon doctors and healers and not really knowing what it was. And during that time, I found out what dark night of the soul means. (laughs) So there was a Spanish monk, a mentee of St. Teresa of Avila. His name is St. John of the Cross. And he was essentially kept in a, I don't know, a cell with like one robe and no food and no protection for months and months and months and months and beaten every day. And he essentially went through a dark night of the soul and described it and started writing this incredible mystical kind of Rumi-esque poetry devotion to the divine kind of non-denominational and essentially said a dark night of the soul where you feel like everything that worked that used to work no longer works and you feel forsaken by life and by whatever you call God is a blessing of the highest order and somehow when I read this I thought holy shit, I think this is what's going on. I mean, I think we can have bad times. And there's something about when it's really about our spiritual journey or our soul, that then it's the dark night of the soul. And then we're kind of talking at you know, a level deeper. Mm-hmm. So that was incredibly humbling. I just feel any separation between me and other women or me and other people who have suffered is gone. Right. So here I am. I'm like, I'm with you. Humanity, I'm with you. I have seen every ugly aspect of myself, of humanity in myself. So like, you can't really phase me now, humanity. (laughs) You know, I'm with you. I get it. Wow. And I guess something that feels like a bit of grace in there is that some point in there, probably understanding that I knew it was a dark night of the soul. I had name for it. I had context. I had someone who had created this incredible devotional path as a result, I started to think, well, what if even this ugly shadowy part of myself that I'm seeing, what if there's wisdom in here? What if it's not a mistake, but what if this is on purpose, so to speak? And then everything shifted. I think we get confused. We think we're supposed to get all our ducks in a row in life and 
you know, be a certain weight, eat a certain kind of food, you know, to be happy. And those are really important things. And I think that the deep lesson of this is you, it's kind of about how you are, your relationship with you. And that I feel like is another gift of this time. Just actually, this is what kindness toward myself or self-love. This is actually what it feels like. Like I love the unlovable. I can love the unlovable. This feels very feminine genius to me. This idea of, Kate, I even think I'm borrowing your words here, but loving yourself into change rather than beating yourself into change and sort of seeing all the aspects, dark and light of myself, they're all part of the whole. So I can't boot out this dark part without doing damage to the whole. So that collaborative connectivity to me feels very like a hallmark of the feminine. I absolutely adore that. And it makes me think of (laughs) that scene in Dirty Dancing when baby (laughs) says to her dad, daddy, if you love me, you have to love all the parts of me when he finds out that she's been dancing with Patrick Swayze. (laughs) So I love that. And so if anyone needs a little like thing to be able to remember, if any other fans of Dirty Dancing are out there, that's what we're talking about. If you love me, you have to love all the parts of me. And that's kind of like that unconditional love of the divine mother of, you know, of each of our mothers, right? And of that kind of like mother energy, that part of the feminine. So, Liana, because I'm a seven on the Enneagram, and for anyone who studies the Enneagram, the sevens like really like to pop out of the darkness as soon as possible. Um, (laughs) Can we hold on to that question? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of things you just said. Oh, I wasn't going to. I was going to ask something further about that. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm curious in that moment, because, of course, my mind automatically goes to, well, what did you do? (laughs) You know, because in my moments of darkness, and I know other people are wondering this, like, how long did it last? What did you do when it came upon you to survive? And then was there something you did that it finally dissolved? Or what do you think that was just like the course of what your soul needed to go through? So it just went away on its own. I just want to clarify. So for myself, like I'm happy this is having a little bit of a hard time following along. But basically, like, the dark night of the soul, a.k.a. a very hard time. Yes. Okay, great. So now continue. you can answer Kate's question, because I have the same thing, too. I'm curious about this process of... Well, because you... I mean, so before Mike and I went on our road trip, we actually were both in sort of a dark night of the soul. Remember, honey, when you were yeah, I eating just... all the ice cream and no, binge no, no, watching it, like, Seinfeld? Depressed, <laughs> depressed in a super hard time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But now I'll so, call it the dark night of the soul. Just Got to it. put it in context, because I think for each person listening, we have to just, the only way for us to learn things is to understand them according to our own lives. So say, think about the recent hardest time you had. I mean, I, what popped in my head is like the United States is going through mm-hmm. a tremendous yes. dark night of the soul right now. I would yes. agree with you. Yeah, yeah, not perfect. even only the United States, like the, the world. world. The world yeah. is going through a tremendous yes, for okay. sure. Okay, so, so sorry, Liana. So uh, do you remember I what I asked you? Or I do. do. You remember- okay, I great. In a perfect segue, because usually a dark night of the soul comes. Didn't we all think things were getting better? Didn't we think things were bending toward justice? To paraphrase Martin Luther King, and whoa! Right out of the middle of a shiny, bright life and country and world, like wow, there's a ton of darkness coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which has still uh, been there. I just told Kate Obama just made it look good. 
Yeah, he did. <laughs> yep. He really did. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so two years. It's lasted for two years. That's really long. I don't know. But I have friends who've been doing this for decades. Like, ah. Uh. So two years on and off, I learned to do three things. So this is what helped. And this is what helped shift it. And I do believe these things don't know if we have any control over the duration or the intensity, like how much it hurts. But I think being involved in this process helps it work you so that it's done with you. Mm. So I don't know what speeds it up, but I think it helps it go on its natural course and release you when you got what you needed to get. So the first thing was knowing we're always going to go into a dark and then light and dark and light cycle. This is how it goes. That's the creative process. That's the way that we're all born. That's the natural world. This is not a problem. This is not where my story ends. This is where it begins. In the womb, right? In the earth, in the wintertime, that's where the seed germinates in that furrow void. So just knowing, okay, I'm not bad and wrong. This is sort of supposed to happen. Okay. Super helpful. And then to be kind of practical, I would say there are two things that I did that really, really helped. And I have heard this a thousand times, but somehow hearing it from Pema Chodron, where she said, I think it was in a places that scare you. She said something like, just let your emotions, your feelings, your sensations pierce you to the bone. Somehow that just got in. And I thought, all right, well, let me just go for it. Hmm. I remembered from my neurology or somehow, okay, emotions last 90 seconds, sometimes two minutes. So I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to be willing to die. I really, I think I won't, but I'm going to be willing to die from this. And I'm going to just go for it and shake and sweat and curse and dance or, you know, lay on the floor, whatever needs to happen. But I'm going to lean into this emotion rather than trying to run the other way. And I think that physiological practice is huge. It's humongous. You know, again, I can't speak as a neurologist would to the whatever's going on with emotions, but I think when we don't allow them to complete, they lodge in our tissues, they lodge in our psyche, they lodge in our soul and we get looped. They just loop. So that was really helpful, really helpful to be able to feel our feelings. And gosh, if we get to talk about parenting, this becomes so relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Emotional literacy how to be with feelings. <laughs> so the second thing though, that helped me, that feels like there's a lightning storm. So I'm just going to put on my galoshes and my rain jacket and be with the storm, not make the storm wrong. But the second thing that really helped me was, oh, emotions aren't a bug in the programming. They're not indications how I can't handle the situation or I had an incomplete childhood emotions and feelings and sensations, I think of them, this is a little poetic, but I think of them like the collective soul, collective consciousness is reaching into my body, tapping me and saying, I have a message for you. Hmm. Okay. You got to decode it a little bit, you know, dialogue with me a little bit, but I'm going to tell you where your next move is going or what's important to you or something you've forgotten. And this idea that what we feel can be part of our guidance, part of our guidance system really helped a lot. Mm. I mean, I won't discount, you know, the thousands of <laughs> healers I went to and just re-understanding a body post baby. And, you know, like I definitely don't discount any of that where we are psychosomatic beings, but those practices have, I think they allowed that dark time to 
work me and then be done with me so that I got what I needed to get out of it. That's really profound wisdom. I'm curious about like all the people you talk to, you know, all these caregivers or I forget what yeah. you, you just call them? Healers. Healers, yeah. Earth caregivers. Like, do you find that, because I know you're working with, do you work with men too or is it just women? You know, 15% men. Okay. So I guess one thing that I have, or maybe I experienced or I've seen when you're in, you can speak about this, like do sometimes that we feel we have to go to somebody to kind of find the answer instead of checking with ourselves? I'm not asking this question well, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you are. Oh, okay. Yeah. From stories I've heard and also, I, w I don't know for myself. I think I under get advice. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing better now, but like in you're, the last the two opposite. years. Yeah. I'm, I, I see no one ever. Like yeah. I went to the doctor this morning to find someone to work with here just to have a primary in case I get hit by a bus. Like somebody will show up right. for me. <laughs> you know, and they're like, when's the last time you've been to a, a primary care practitioner or had one? And I was like, eight, nine years ago, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I'm completely the opposite of talking to 12,000 people a week and stuff like that. But I do know that there are circumstances about it. And I know Danielle Laporte's new book that kind of talks about this a little bit, which is pretty fun. Yeah. So I just want to get your hit on that. First of all, I'm excited. I don't even know what her book title is called because I haven't read anybody. I got everybody off of everybody's list. Of while course. I my, so I'm completely culturally illiterate at the moment. So yeah, but you're really tuned class. into your wisdom. And I just want to, yeah. I know that was an aside, but I really want to put a pin in it. It's really wise when you're birthing your next piece of work to cocoon and yeah. not be reading other people's stuff because it can get very confusing. Yes. <laughs> so yes. well done. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely went to healers or so first I went to a DO, right? So a doctor who just had a little more of a holistic bent, who was a complementary medicine practitioner. And then I worked with a functional neurologist, chiropractor, AK person, applied kinesiology. So these were all people who had a foot and then a naturopath had a foot in allopathic medicine, but also a really holistic, alternative, complementary view on health and balance. I want to just say that, you know, look at the whole being. I would say something about this does not have to do with every dark time we go through or hard time we go through in our life. Sometimes, especially with what I feel like is a dark night of the soul, what worked yesterday no longer works. The ways that you have had meaning or pleasure or spiritual connection in your life fail you. And so it's sort of a soul upgrade. So in a way, I couldn't just rely on myself because everything that I had, all the pathways, all the practices that I had relied on and they were working really well, stopped working. So I did need some extra support. I guess though, you know, I feel like we're all children of the Louise Hay era, which is really understanding a physical illnesses manifestation in, in our psyche or in our soul. So just to be practical, I have one and maybe two autoimmune conditions, which I don't know if I've always had them, but they came out during this time. So I have in my pancreas and then possibly in my thyroid. We're still working on my thyroid. And I'll say this because in that school of thought, that what manifests in your biology is partly about your spiritual life or how you view yourself. Autoimmune issues are where you attack yourself. Literally, the body 
recognizes its own self as a foreign entity and it attacks itself. So guess what I had been doing my entire life, which is what most women do, right? Like this, I can't say this. I can't be this. I can't look like this. So I'm going to go to war with myself and try to be the girl or woman that this world thinks is lovable and acceptable and will take seriously. I just feel like that is profoundly sad. (laughs) Here's like, you know, kind of working through some stuff here. Additionally, the thyroid is your voice. So I've been self-attacking my voice for my entire life. And I'm definitely not doing that on a practical level. But if, I just feel really moved by the way that the body will show us our weaker areas that need love, that need, whew, you know, that need that support. But so to come full circle, Mike, with your great question, part of this for me was absolutely reclaiming that my ability to know what I need, what's best for me, or that I've got my own back, no healer or no, not even a friend or my husband could really offer like this inner authority, inner sovereignty was absolutely a piece of this. So I don't want to dissuade you from going to get your primary care you know, stuff in order. <laughs> I think that's good, but well, we're kind of working with both here. No, I completely, I mean, I got in a fight with her this morning, so <laughs> it's the first time I met her and I was like challenging everything she told me because it didn't make sense. It was very reactive mentality versus a proactive mentality where I think of when I'm meeting with somebody to talk about, like I have Tim Ferriss in my head about getting measured on every single little thing that's possible. Not that that's yeah. necessary. He's the extreme but at least something, you know, and I'm just like, yeah. So anyway, so I just realized like being there, it's like, oh, I have to find somebody else, you know, you're not going to be the right one for me. And yeah, cool. I I like that because it's, and that's what I found as well for myself. I think it's good to get outside help, but the real work is done with myself, Yeah, you know, because our last, this woman, Lindy, that we work with here, she pointed something out to Kate and I, in July of last year, that's really was pretty eye-opening to us and that we had to get fixed and healed. And I actually went to her again, kind of just for my, I was talking, it was just me going to see her. I went to her like one or two more times after that. And I was just irritated. I would leave and I would just be so mad at her. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Lindy. And then I just took Penelope back there like about three weeks ago. And I just told her, I was like, she's like, oh, thanks. You know, it's great to see you and all this stuff. I was like, yeah, I was mad at you. I was so mad at you. And now I'm cool. Like I've worked on that shit. And now it's like, now we can move forward. And I actually like, like, I like you as a human being, but like you pointed stuff out to me that I didn't want to be told. And yeah. Yeah. So that was super beneficial. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. I love Liana what you, it sounds like, you know, if I can paraphrase that you basically got through by being in it. And what what a beautiful way to say it. Would you agree that, I think you're going to agree with this, but maybe I'm wrong. Would you agree that like a lot of the times we end up kind of like stuck in our lives because we're not willing to really be all the way in the muck? I think I might, you know, upwards of 99% or 100% agree with you. Yeah. Beautifully said. The way we get through it is by being in it. Did she just say um, upwards to 99% or 100%? Yeah. We can't really go any higher. Right. right. Yeah. I think she's I saying she agrees. <laughs> I agree. I'm sure there's an exception. Yeah, there's always uh, an exception. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's keep it just on this side 99%. of 99%. Let's go with yeah. 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 I do. Well, here's the thing. I think things go up and down. I think, I don't know about you all, but I've just looked at my life and I thought there's been a few times where things were just really great and they kind of blew my mind. But most of the time, things are amazing and awe-filled. And there's this huge gaping hole in one area of my life that I'm, <laughs> you know, raising my fist to the sky and saying like, this shouldn't be so. But if I just look like that's the trend. So, you know, maybe that's the way my life at least goes. And I certainly don't mean I'm going to search around to poke holes in my life to make sure I always have something like that. But it's kind of how it's been. I guess I say all that to say, just because there's muck in our life doesn't mean that it's because we're avoiding something. Yes. Right. We just get muck. Just, life is mucky. It's part of the deal. I mean, the manure is part of growing vegetables. <laughs> like you have to have the shit in order to have life. So true. I mean, nothing is ever going to be like, perfect all the way around no right like there's always going to be something i mean unless we're dead you know like but there's always going to be something we can do better at or become a better human somehow some way yeah yeah and i do think your point is correct i think that we attract pain you know we have upper limits on how good our lives can be we don't want to be a tall poppy we don't want the tall poppy syndrome we don't know how to feel our feelings or look at the places within us that feel, you know, unlovable and unlookatable. And that definitely gets us stuck. That definitely gets us stuck in the muck. So this ability to be in it and really not have anywhere to go. I mean, literally, like, there's a monk. Nothing. I think his robe rotted off him because that's how long he was there. No food you know, daily whippings, it's like it's so hard to be in that. <laughs> but there was something about the being in it that allowed him to go through. But you can't say, I'm just going to get through this and get through. Right. Yeah. You brought up a point earlier about how that time was actually really has served you as a mother and kind of that learning to be with emotions piece. Can you talk a little bit more about being your son's mother and what that's taught you and being with those emotions. You have one son, right? One son, five years old. Five years old. And then when did you go through like this period? He was a year and a half. Yeah. It started when he was a year and a half. And then you went. And it ended when he was about three three and and a half half years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Because Penelope is a year and a half. So I'm just sort of like imagining what that would be like. Well, so just a tiny aside. Yeah, Exactly. There is a real thing called postpartum, postnatal postpartum depletion. Yep. Which is kind of what I had. Yeah. It's a thing. Wow. So I have to say, because children, I think, are just have holy ions pouring out of their pores, you know, (laughs) (laughs) being with him during this time, I just felt really sane and I felt really, I don't know, lucid in his field. I felt okay. And so who knows how much I affected him, but it felt clean. I felt good. There was this one time where, so this happened right during terrible twos and threes, where our children are learning boundaries and who they are. And I just think like they're feeling emotions for the first time. 
maybe not for the first time, but certain emotions for the first time. Maybe that's the first time they felt injustice, or maybe they didn't feel it at this intensity before, or the push and pull between going out into the world, but feeling safety with their parents, et cetera. So this is a tantrum age, right? And so I definitely related to his emotional storms as tantrums, right? What has a negative connotation, like you're acting out. This is a mm. this problem. Oh no, there they go. They're in the terrible twos and threes, right? So I definitely related to them for a while, unfortunately. And somewhere in the middle, I just had this beautiful experience with him where he kind of got into an intense thing. I don't know, something just clicked in and I thought, what could be needed here? Or what would I have wanted in this situation? And one of my mentors who I was working with at one point was tracing back to one of my early childhood memories of crying uncontrollably and my mom having one of her moments, which she doesn't even remember, of course, but saying, stop, you have to stop crying. Right. And I was just internally was like, oh my God, I have to stop crying. I don't even know. How do I do that? But if I don't do that, she's not going to love me anymore. right? Right. So which I'll just say is I'm not saying my mom's pretty awesome and this has nothing to do with her, just a disclaimer. Yeah. So there I was with my son, he's having this outburst and I just thought, gosh, what if he doesn't know what's going on? And what if he thinks if he can't figure this thing out that he can't figure out, he thinks that I don't love him. And so I just tried some different stuff and I pulled him close rather than kind of keeping some distance. And I thought, I mean, he was super young, but I just said, named the feeling. Like you seem upset. You seem sad. You seem angry. And then I thought, okay, where are you feeling it in your body? And you know, he was young enough. He didn't have all his words. So you're pointing to different places in his body and just acknowledging, gosh, you must be feeling a lot. It's so much energy. And he was like, yeah. And you, I could just feel him. You could feel the respect and feel something shifting. And I thought, holy moly, I've hit on a formula. <laughs> Actually, this I would have loved someone to teach me when I was two, which is, let's relate to it like a storm that's passing through our body. Let's relate to it like, how would he know what this is if we don't start to give language to this? Brene Brown says the average person, and she does so much research in the field research, the average person can name three emotions. Wow. Three emotions. Right? Like, where else will we learn this? <laughs> Right. Happy, angry, sad, I believe. Yeah. And obviously we all feel them all, but being able to have our experience named to like, here, this is what's happening. This is what I'm feeling, getting our experience validated. Um, And that, I won't call it a tantrum, lasted five minutes, not 45. Yeah. And I thought, God, you know, what would it be like if we all just had this ability to work with our feelings and our emotions this way? Sure wish I'd had this 35 years before, you know, and I freaking study this stuff. So here's the thing that it just further allowed me to see this child as so aware, so sentient, and how weird it must be to be so aware and conscious and to just be learning to walk (laughs) just with the dichotomy, you know, an incredibly evolved soul and sentient nature and you're working out like, Oh, I just peed in my pants again. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Parenting is so crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I read this book called the aware baby when Penelope was, you know, just like a couple weeks old. And 
she talks in there a lot about crying and how crying is actually, you know, tears actually release stress hormones and Mm. how crying is actually such a helpful experience for babies. But I also believe for anyone, I'm such a big crier. And I'm so glad that I read that because I've had many experiences similar to that, Liana, where because I kind of learned about this practice of stay listening, they call it stay listening, where Mm. you literally like Penelope has been, we've really had quite a journey with parenting. And it's so funny. The other day I dropped her off at daycare. (laughs) They were like, Penelope's such an easy baby. And I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, why don't you come be her mother? Because that has not been my experience, but I'm so glad she's easy at daycare. So anyway, but we just had this experience early on of like, she just cried a lot and there was just a lot of health issues and frustration and sleep and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so even now, and I'm so glad you've had this experience too. It's so validating. Like when she's upset to have empathy for her and to imagine what it must be like, just like you said, to be in this tiny body feeling a hurricane, you know, a big storm coming through and then to hold it close. And I think about all the time, you know, with that Like I, of course, am having my agenda and I want her to like eat her dinner and like get it together and go to bed. (laughs) But then I think about what if I was upset and Mike was like, here, just have some grapes and like get in the tub and like go to sleep. And like, what can I do to make you stop having an emotion? I would be so pissed. (laughs) And so when we think about it, just like you said, when we think about it from ourselves, like what would be helpful even to me? as an adult, if I'm having a big emotion. So what a beautiful way to relate to our children. And have you continued that kind of like that way of relating in he's five now? And how's that played out? Oh, man, I really I feel really grateful to have this, you know, and my husband, Nathan's like, you're really great at it. Like, that's your province. Like, cool. he, he, yeah, he is so great. I'll tell you this sweet little story the other day. I just feel like he's got a pretty good relationship with being an emotional human being. And he, he is said this the other your day, son or your husband, who are we talking uh, about? My son, I would say my, <laughs> my husband is definitely more emotionally literate than the average bear for sure. Okay. I just wanted to make sure who we're talking about. (laughs) Which him. So I was sitting with him and he was listening to a song and he turned to me and he said, it was kind of, it was a little bit sad song. And he said, mama, I'm having my secret tears. And I said, what are you? I was like, Oh, precious moment. You know, like (laughs) don't mess it up. What are, what are your, what are secret tears? And he's like, Oh, well, these are the ones that I get to have that are only for me and no one gets to see. I mean, if I hurt myself or I'm mad, then those ones everybody can see. But these ones are for me because I want them all to myself. Oh. And I, <laughs> but there he is telling me about his secret tears, you know, but just that he has a, what a sweet relationship with that. I guess, you know, I won't do the equivalent of showing you baby picture after baby picture, but I did have one. You of them can, up. please. I love kids stories. <laughs> I mean, that would be boring for the listeners because they, <laughs> they wouldn't be able to see them. Right. Yes. Good point, Mike. You can do the uh, audio version, though. Yeah. We can it's add some to the edit. blog post if you want. You can send them over and we'll throw them in there. I will. I will. <laughs> so he was probably he was in the middle of my dark night of the soul. He, we were driving in the car and I just said something like, you know, thanks for 
saying please and thank you and learning that and doing great cooperation with me. And he's like, you're welcome, mama. And I said, but you know, I love you when you're angry and I like whatever mood you're in, I love you. And he's like, I know. I like all the feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And I just nearly stopped the car. So I think it's going well. I think it's going well. I think he likes all the feelings. I think he isn't learning that when I have this feeling that I don't know how to control, I might lose love. And I'm sure I'm not doing it perfectly. There's no way. But gosh, that's certainly a hope of mine that I think this generation is not starting that war with themselves. That's so cool. Yeah, that's cool. It'll be interesting to see the path of as he goes. I'm reading this book right now that's written by a 19-year-old that became social media famous. And I can see in his book where he hit this, where kind of what you're talking about. He was in high school and he hit all this fame and everybody loved him. And then he went away to one event that he got asked, the first paid thing he ever got. And he came back and everybody hated him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like they turn on him and it was his first clarity. And it was really interesting, kind of like his emotional experience with that. Wow. And just like where he was like, oh, this is like real deal. And he's writing about it at, you know, he's 19 or 20 sharing this. It's pretty cool. So it's it's interesting to see like how and how he's handled it has been great. You know, he like really went inward and was like, what do I have to do that's the best for myself? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what do I have to do that's going to not stop me on my path? Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So now can we talk a little bit about running a business as a mom while your husband is also an entrepreneur. Now, do you and Nathan work on projects together or are you guys working on things mostly separately? Both. In the past, when we've worked together, it has been spectacularly disastrous. So we <laughs> okay. We also met when he was my boss. So we kind of avoided that dynamic. Anyways, we, we haven't had a decade and a half to work through it. We do. We have an upcoming project where he's doing his genius. I'm doing mine. So that's cool. So historically separate recently, it is such a great way for us to actually combine our energies and become closer. And we're working really well together. So let's talk about feminine and masculine energy in that context. So you're a woman, he's a man, but we both, you know, men and women both have feminine and masculine energy running through our bodies. And so can we define that? Yes. For, can you talk about what can that you just is? Define on your, so everyone's on the same page listening to this, us, like, what do you look as feminine energy? What is it masculine to you? Great. Yeah. This is one of those really cool conversations where if you get really subtle into it, it all starts to not make any sense. And we're just human, right? Yes. But I think it can be helpful because as a culture and as individuals, we don't understand, we don't like, we don't value feminine energy. So it just can be helpful to know what we're missing. So this is just my personal definition. This isn't universal. God did not tap me on my shoulder and tell me this. <laughs> so I think that it's very easy to recognize what masculine strengths or energy is because the world really values them and we rely on them a lot. They are thinking, analytical abilities, be able to discern, to judge, to compete, to create order, to have hierarchy, to be linear and goal-oriented. Those are all really important things. In contrast, feminine energy or feminine strengths are feeling, emotional, cyclical, right? As we began our conversation, sensual, collaborative, connective, 
and intuitive. So we'll have all of them in us. And I think that we could also kind of call masculine in your head, feminine in your body. That would break down pretty quickly if we applied a little bit of science, but you know, (laughs) we can kind of go there. A really kind of beautiful esoteric way to describe it is that your feminine is your why. It's like why you do something, why you're inspired. It's the raison d'etre behind something. And the masculine is how. It is how that thing gets created and made manifest in the world. And so, yeah, I've never heard that. That's awesome. I've never heard that before. That's very cool. Yeah. And I think, and you know, right, Seth Godin's work is so good when Simon Sinek, right? Start with why. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we've all got them in us. And I think that it's hard to say a little bit. We all tend to lean a little bit more on masculine because we get really rewarded in the culture. It's a go-to. And things like intuition, Kate, you're brilliant in speaking about this. So intuition, these nudges from our collective soul or collective consciousness, they're pre-verbal. They don't have language. They work on a different system than reason. So you go in and you say, I think we should go left. The masculine mind or something says, uh, no, we should go right, but you can't back it up with reasons. It is a feeling. It is a knowing before conscious reasoning. So our culture is, you know, dismisses that because how could you not back up? How could it be a knowing if you can't apply scientific process to it or scrutiny to it? So just one example of how our feminine energies, they're just lesser known. We have a lot of fear of them. That is so true. So in business, how are you incorporating your feminine energy into your business? And then also, how are you dancing with that, you know, working on projects with your husband as well? And does that even come into play at all? And if so, how? So, oh my gosh, what a great question. So yeah, I'll give a few examples. So I'm doing both, right? If I'm writing a blog post or on a coaching session with somebody, I'm partly, I'm weaving masculine and feminine energies, but it's easy for me, but probably for all of us to let that feminine energy go by the wayside. So just what I tend to do is a lot of movement or body-based meditative practices, dance, things that have me access my five senses. So I'll dance or I just make sure that I'm moving my body or I get up as often as I can. I go out and smell the air, remind myself I have a body, Hmm. remind myself I have senses. And when that happens, I'm much more able to enjoy myself and the dots connect easier and the ideas flow. There's a reason we get our good ideas in the shower, you know, in sort of that space where we're in a sensual, meaning our senses are engaged, sensual environment. I have trained myself and I've trained my husband to go, okay, like hold off with the reason for a minute. An intuition is coming. Give it some space. (laughs) Here's what I intuit. Let's not kill it off with reasons yet. So I've just sort of trained us both to go give the intuition a little space because it communicates differently. It feels a little bit differently and we will kill it off if we apply a plan to it too soon. Right. So that's super helpful. You know, I have the, it just happens to be, I think everybody has this. He happens to be very 
like I call it man tuition. I think that that's just <laughs> silly and cute. <laughs> I think we all have intuition, but he, I think he even is more sensitive than me. Not that it's certainly a competition or measurable, but he's really attuned to those realms as well. But we still have to train each other to not shoot down a, an intuition too soon. That's really huh. great. I think that's probably true in a lot of ways mm-hmm. about men being more sensitive than, but we overcompensate with our guns and measuring penis size and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's like oh you always hear about what's actually leading with the small head or the big head. <laughs> well, I think that we're all kind of oppressed in certain ways, but I don't, I think at least in this area, it's a little easier for girls to cry or have certain emotions or to be intuitive than it is for little boys. So I think, yeah, I do think you're you representing all of mankind, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> are you perhaps even more intuitive and sensitive, but becomes a huge shadow place or shame place. Yeah, it's weakness. So, yeah. yeah. Or it's yeah. quote unquote weakness. That doesn't mean, I don't think it is. I think it's something, right. but I, I think the perception is that boys shouldn't do this or boys shouldn't do that or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. You know, in a way we have a cool balance because in this, for example, we, meaning my husband and I, and the project we're working on is where it's curriculum on feminine genius and how women can thrive in a world that's built more for the masculine or for men in mind. And so the content is mine. The inspiration, the why is kind of my realm And then how it gets out in the world is kind of his realm. So on that way, we've been sort of, you know, he's holding more of the masculine. I'm holding more of the feminine. And we happen to be people who he's a man. He's a, has a male body tends to his lean. Like he tends to be lean more on his masculine. He tends to be like a more masculine type of person. Mm -hmm. He'll lead with that. And I'll lead with more feminine. Everybody, we mix and match in all kinds of ways, but that happens to be how it is for us. And just logistically, because I'm always just curious how other people do it. So what do you guys do logistically around work hours, childcare, housework, who's doing what? Just can you just like give me a snapshot of who does what, when? (laughs) Yes. Great. I have to say, gosh, we have a really sweet sort of, ooh, you're going through it. I'm going to take out the trash. So you don't have to think about it kind of natural equalization thing going on, which really broke during my dark night. That was really hard. We sort of lost that just natural equilibrium, but it, we definitely have regained it. What it looks like is, so our kid goes to, she's starting kindergarten. So he's out. We kind of do, we kind of keep business hours, even though we both work from home. We're both our own bosses and entrepreneurs. So He has his office downstairs and Ayn is upstairs because otherwise we will talk all day when nothing will get done. And I got to say, some of them are on typical gender lines. Like I kind of take care of the school things and handling the babysitters. And he definitely takes care of taxes, right? He'll like say, make out a check for this amount. That's all I have to think about with taxes. But I take out the garbage, so you know. <laughs> this is you know how you can tell I'm a feminist. No, <laughs> that's how you know. <laughs> Five signs, you know. Five signs you might be a feminist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So I feel like, yeah, there's just, there's like kind of a lack of expectation that you do this because you're the woman in the relationship or because you're a man. But if we had me doing financial projection, it would take me, you know, five months beyond when the taxes were due because my mind works really slow. It's not my genius. And we don't let him near the authority figures, like the people at school. We don't. He just makes trouble. He's too it's free like spirit. Mike at the doctor today. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Somebody will have to go to the doctor like, go for me. I know. I'm going to have to go with you next time and be like, what he meant to say was. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I can definitely, we can relate. We can relate. Yeah. That's going to get, once we start Penelope goes to school and stuff, this will be really interesting. Now, you started running your business before you were a mom. I met you long before you were a mother. One of my most favorite questions that I've been asking entrepreneurial moms lately is, what in your mothering has made you a better entrepreneur? So how has mothering made you a better entrepreneur? Oh, what a great question. Mm -hmm. So to me parenting the way I want to parent has me have to be very present and very playful in order to be playful. You have to tap into a place into yourself. That's very well, <laughs> you know, uh, you well, very, well, like well be like a place of well being. Okay. And kind of to see what's going well and that I've got it in me. So he sort of pulls out of me being in the now being present and tapping into a place of myself that is completely resourced. Like as if I were a juggler and okay, so now I'm going to juggle eight balls and I pull one out of my pocket. You know, I've, I sort of like know that I've got it within me. And I think that's really a beautiful place to be in an entrepreneurial space. Meaning one of my weaknesses is planning because I'll plan and I'll think it's going to be so great when, mm. or if I could just put a plan to it, then I won't, you know, I'll make the right choice or something. So I think that actually, if we're present, we're sort of responding to what we need, like what is asking to be lived through us or brought into the world. Like that's where the magic happens. So being more present or being more like, I got this, I can do this. feels like it's like a much better way to, to be in a business, but also a business that's about bringing something into the world that's freaking useful, you know, <laughs> that people really need. That was a great question. That was a great answer. I think this is another thing. This is a hard one for me. It really is hard for me. I got to say. So there's no sphere more easy to be kid first, mom second than mothering. And it's part of how it's designed, right? Who wants to get up at 2 a.m. after you've been asleep for two hours and feed the kid again? No one wants to do that, but you <laughs> circumvent your own needs because this baby needs that thing. So I think it is really taught me, like if I'm not flourishing, so I'm sort of saying the paradoxical thing, it's so easy for me to give from a place of depletion. Yeah. And motherhood certainly is a nice reward to do that, or it's a place that rewards that. Gosh, I mean, that's part of what, why I had such a hard, dark time. Yep. So just incredible resolve to go, if I ain't mama happy, ain't nobody happy. What do I want to teach him? Do I want to teach him that you should get from depletion? That's not what I want him to learn. So I got to model in my own behavior and in my own self what I want him to learn. And 
what I need to learn. So I'm retraining my system to be okay with enough and abundance and plenty of health and like not running on empty, but actually a full tank. So just to be vulnerable, like, and that's my cutting edge because my grooves in the railroad track, they want to go down depletion and be a saint and give to everybody else. That's a good entrepreneurial lesson from motherhood. For sure. Yeah. So through your, I have two questions that I have left to ask. I don't know if you have anything else. Through your research, I'm going to change topics for a second. Through your research of working with a lot of these women, and we started this conversation off talking about how, I forget the exact phrasing that was used, but basically like women, what was the, where you started talking about like women aren't set up for not success in the world. That this world that we live in is not actually set up primarily for women. It's designed more for men in mind. Okay. So with that topic, how would you say is effective for men to kind of like change the thinking that we have been programmed with? to set up a success, you know, a place of success for women. Women are interacting with men all the time, you know, not all the time, but in the workplace and in the world, I guess a lot, you know? So like, what does this mean from your experience working with women, et cetera? Like, because women can fix themselves all they want or do every single healer or go to all of these places and do all these things. But if we're not there as a guy to support that, so what does that look like or would be helpful for the audience that could be listening about that could be a man listening to this. This is like, Oh, I could do this a little bit better, et cetera. Oh, such a great question. I think the first thing is the place you had to come from to ask that question, which is sort of an acknowledgement. There are things I have blind spots. There are things I don't even know to ask. For example, I think that's one of the like hot topics of the moment is what is white privilege, right? If you're really, if you're going to look at what is racism, part of it is, there's going to be areas you don't even know you're being racist because how would you even think to look there, right? That's kind of the definition of not an active form of racism. So, okay, maybe I have blind spots. I think that's a really great place to come from. I have, what if I have some curiosity about how it could be better? So just the question I think is a beautiful first step. So let me say a real basic one and then one that's maybe a little more complex. I think basic could be for a man to ask a woman in his world, Like, what is something I could do that would help? (laughs) Or what is, I think that's super simple. For example, you know, what could I do that would have you have a better time? Have you feel less run down or have you feel more honored for who you are or appreciated? So I think that is a great one. The more complicated one is, so there are certain markers of when a woman is thriving And I'm sure you see this all over the place, Mike. She's got sparkle or she has a light coming off her, right? She is radiant. She is happy. And it doesn't mean that she maybe is, she's got like a base level contentment. Even if life's going up and down, she feels in her body. You feel her physically present. She is probably humorous. Sometimes we call that turned on and it's not sexually aroused, but sort of turned on, like her inner lights are turned on or she's excited by life. And so the more complicated version, I learned this from my husband, actually. I feel a little grateful for him and a little like, wow, I didn't figure this one out for myself. (laughs) Well, thank goodness he asked me, but essentially he was like, I think you should just make decisions from how much joy they bring you or how turned on you feel by them. 
not whether they're the right thing or not. So essentially he said, here, get a thermometer, stick it on the wall. And when the temperature, when it goes ding, 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 I feel radiant, right? The temperature goes to radiant. Great. Do that decision or make that choice. The metric or the measuring stick is how alive she feels. So I think something a guy could do to a woman in his life is to start to notice what does that for her and to help her be able to do more of that, prioritize more of that, align her life so that she's got more of that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Can I acknowledge you for a recent time you did that, hon? Like every day. Well, for sure every day. And so last week or two weeks ago, I got an... Yes, you may acknowledge. Okay, I'm going to do a public acknowledgement of how awesome (laughs) Mike is. So a couple weeks ago, I got a friend of mine emailed me to say she needs new dancers in her new moon ensemble, which is a West African dance and drum ensemble that does Mm. performances around... Southern Maine. I was like really kind of excited by this invitation, but also kind of freaked out by it because we're like building a house and moving and launching a big thing and like thinking about having another baby and like our life is full. Oh, and then it, you know, of course it means like a little bit more time where I'm not available for taking care of pee and washing the dishes and whatever. So I asked Mike about it. Like, should I do this? I don't know. And Mike was like, Beyond anything, like more than anything else that you need to be doing. Sorry, it just totally makes me tear up. But it's like beyond anything else you need to be doing, you need to be dancing. So like, yes, do this because it's more important than like anything else. Because he sees that when I do that, I am totally lit up. So thanks, hon. Oh man, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I can feel it over here, Kate. That's so beautiful. Well done, Mike. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mike, you know that selfish intelligence, right? Because we know how much good stuff you get from supporting her to do that. You know, like it's not totally altruistic. You totally win from that too. It's great. You get a lit up, Kate. Yeah, and I mean, she talks about like it's just those things like you talked about is noticing. You know, and one of the things she notices and loves is dancing, and one of the things she doesn't do enough is dance. So it's it's like when that opportunity arises, it's like, yeah, it's because I don't necessarily feel guilty about it, you know, because it's my res- – and here, Kate and I have been having a lot of talk about mom, like her as a mother feeling guilty with Penelope versus me as a dad, and we've been having a lot of conversations on that, and I don't necessarily feel – like if Penelope's at daycare five days a week, I'm like, great. It's like more time I can hang out by myself, you know? It's like <laughs> – <laughs> or like go with my friends. It's not, I don't, I don't feel like I'm missing out. I get plenty of Penelope time. And even our, the folks at daycare even said that she's like, Penelope's such a great, she must get like a lot of love from you too. And she said, I didn't tell you this, but she said this t- to me the other day. And I was like, yeah, I mean, we're with her a lot. You know, when she's not here, she's basically with us for the most part, or if we're going out to a date or something. And I don't, you know, it doesn't cross my mind and I know it's completely, you know, it's different for men and women on both ends of that. So I don't want to discredit any of that, but yeah, I just noticed like one of the things that brings Kate joy is the dancing part. And I don't, when I answered that, like what you just said is like the self-fulfilling stuff on me. Like it didn't even occur to me. It's like, oh, this is going to benefit me somehow. And of course it will. I mean, she's going to be sexy. Not that she's not sexy now, but she's going to be sexier. You know, right. she's going to look great. Her butt's going to be awesome. <laughs> Those legs, you know, stuff like that. So, and it's going to be fantastic where, yeah. And it's just like, it's like a paying attention to what really, and what I have to do better for myself is that same thing. 
you know, is really asking for what do I need as well? And then Kate really honoring that perspective. And that's just something, you know, I want to do for myself too, is be better at that. So I don't hit those, let's say those dark places type thing. It's like listening to that intuition of the why and the feminine energy of myself to be like, I need this for me and really honoring that for myself, just like she did. And just being supported on that Avenue by her. So, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I, can I say one more? Can I sneak one more in there? Yeah. Sure. So piggybacking on that thing you're already putting into practice and we can like, wow, we can circle back if it feels good about mommy guilt. But I think that the quality of listening, this could be, should be another thing that men could practice as a way of, yeah, just making it more safe for feminine energy to be present. So we all have this, I think men, maybe a little bit more as a grand generalization where when someone is sharing something or they look distressed, it's how can I fix that? Well, they're hurting. I want them to be happy. It's a natural urge, right? Of course we hear men are problem solvers. And so the quality of listening, of listening in two ways of waiting a, a bit to really get a sense of having them be heard and having her feel like the feeling has been the, the feeling or the emotion or whatever she's experiencing has been heard and validated. And then perhaps going into the problem solving because when that gets skipped over, there's sort of this, well, I guess my feelings aren't important or they can get Kate. Like you mentioned with Penelope, like she gets angry, right? Or she imagined she could. Yeah. So this, I feel like is a superhuman, super ninja human skill anyways, but listening for someone as though they're not in need of fixing, like they're not a problem to be fixed, even though, right. So our good intentions can get a little warped. So it's almost sitting on your hands for a little bit and saying, listening well, or asking, oh, here's the thing. Here's the thing you're going to pay me $10,000 for is the question is you say, what else? And then you say it again (laughs) in service of whatever she's experiencing, being fully felt and heard and acknowledged, and then you can move on to what needs to get solved. So that one, that's a good one. That one has some great mileage and Mike, you might already be doing that naturally, but I want to sneak that one in. No, I think that's really valuable. Yeah, You know, it's because it is for me too. For me. Yeah, and I was going to say to toss it back to, you know, the ladies listening is it goes because it's even one thing that Kate does really well for me. I mean, for me, my initial instinct is right is to like fix a problem. I went to school for engineering, so it's like ingrained in me to like fix a problem. And it has been something I've been really working on to just listen to the whole thought. But then even the other side, I mean, what makes it, I think, what makes it easier for, What's I found value in our relationship is that if if I'm bringing something vulnerable up where her initial thought in the past has been, it's almost like we get, well, okay, he's showing, like, it's almost me being vulnerable is like me showing weakness. And then it's kind of has taken, sometimes with Kate has taken her in an, an area where she doesn't feel secure all of a sudden, right? And that can go down another path instead of where... So it is a toss up on, Mm -hmm. you know, on both sides, because it's like, okay, if Mike's going to be vulnerable and tell me that he doesn't feel strong or strength about this, then all of a sudden it goes down another avenue. 
But then the one thing that we've been really good at lately is for her to keep asking me questions, you know, and she's like, how would you like me to handle this next time? So it feels better or what would be it's to keep digging or give me some space like I'll know it. And it takes me a little bit usually to process things like an hour or two hours or something like that, or half a day or a day yeah. and to really let that breathe for a second, like what you were sharing you and Nathan do. Yeah. But I like that. And just in for both sides, I think it's, but as for sure for men, like we have to fix things. It was funny. I was with, I got invited to this group in New York where there was like 17 men and we were going around and people were talking about, yeah, like being a provider and one of those, you know, it's like wanted to fix things. And one of the guys go, I don't want to fix anything. Like he just, he's just like, I don't know where people get that. Like, I don't want to fix anything. You know? And I was like, Oh my goodness. That's so funny. Uh, that is really funny. Yeah. D- did you have another question, honey, that you, yeah, it was like ask? the last question we usually ask everybody. I don't know if you, yeah, have- I just want to ask real quick about your take only because I'm just personally interested in this conversation, your take on mom guilt and like how that shows up in your life and what you do with it or what you think about it. And then we'll have Mike ask our last question. Oh, great question. So I'm going to borrow from you and from Glennon Doyle Melton on this one. Mm. So Glennon Doyle Melton's pretty awesome, as we all know. And I think her reframe around this was so helpful for me. She's like, you know, when you feel you're away from your kid and everybody tells you, oh, yeah, that's mommy guilt because you should be with them. And she's like, that's not mommy guilt. That's love. You just love them. (laughs) And I thought, I just so appreciated that. that. What you're feeling, it's not inner conflict that you're messing up your child. You just love them, you know? So that one's awesome. And Kate, you said something to me the other day that's really so, comfort. I like, I love that. I know. Sorry it's to cut great. you off. Because like, yeah. if Kate and I go, like, if you go on a trip, I don't be like, oh, I have Kate guilt. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, I miss you or whatever. And it's, it's like, true. Yeah, I don't. No, you're I not feeling guilty. Guilt. You're just no, no. It's I'm missing my. Kid but even and if that's I feel okay. that, like, if you're gone or something, I'm like, oh, it'd be great to see you or something like, or I can't wait till you come home and be like, oh, well, I have Kate guilt today. Right. Yeah. No, it's Let's so crazy. Yeah, wow. yeah. All right. Yeah. I love that. Cool. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. So what? Thanks, Glennon via Liana. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So I also think it's helpful for me to imagine that when he's not with me, he's, for example, his school, he loves his school so much. He yeah. loves it. It's an environment that is set up for its kid heaven. You know, we chose that thoughtfully. We, we like, we really chose that environment well for him. There's part of me that I can say, hush, he is in kid heaven right now. Yeah. But then the third piece is going back to how parenting has helped me entrepreneurially is what would I rather that I'm going to my dance class or going to my West African moon dance rehearsals <laughs> and come back lit up with a great ass and, you know, Right. And then I'm totally present with my kiddo or I said, no, that's okay. I'm just going to spend time with him. And I'm not really, it's not kid heaven. So that one's tough to put into practice, but I feel like I want to be my lit up version when I'm with him. And so then it's good for me to go to that dance class or, and not be with him totally. so that when I'm with him, you know, there I am, I'm, I'm fully present. Can I say one more thing? Cause then I get to quote you, Kate. Sure. Said, <laughs> Kate, you said the other day, you said, I can tell you the one, 100% of the time, how we will mess up our kids. We will be a bad parent. And that's if we're focused on being a perfect parent, that focus on perfection, which means there's an ideal in my head of the perfect mom 
or the perfect parent and I'm not actually being me, but I'm trying to live up to that. That's a sure way to have it. Like that's the only way you can be a bad parent. That one's really reverberated around too. Thank you for that. Yeah. I did not remember that I said that. (laughs) (laughs) I have another question about like parenting in general. And I'm curious because this is a big influence in our life and it's really, it's affected me as being a man and a dad, but just like when you're parenting a child, but you're not together. So from like a divorce standpoint or separation standpoint, and I'll just share from my experience and you can kind of chime in what your thought is on this. One of the biggest things that I've noticed regarding Kate's circle, or like, I wouldn't say Kate's circle of friends, just like our friends. We have a lot of, there's people that have been divorced or separated in partnerships. And we hang out with a lot of the women on that side, more so than the guys, because that's where I met these people through Kate. And I hear there's a lot of like, I would say negative talk about the partner. And that Mm. has been... That really affected me for a while, especially when Penelope was first born. Now I don't, not so much, but because I didn't want to be that guy. Like I didn't want to be that talked about in circles in let's say five years from now or whatever. Like if that was like a big thing holding on. So I, you know, I'm very curious about what you're teaching women. It's, you know, I don't really know how to phrase this, but I just know like it's affecting manhood (laughs) to a certain degree. And I don't what the Mm. best situation for somebody could be listening here that's going through or might feel that about their partner or how that is. So let me put in the perspective of somebody that's actually might be experiencing this is what can they do to try to be the best co-parent in a relationship where people have split up? Oh yeah. So I want to just preface by saying difficult. Let me add my two cents without really knowing the depth of this. So, you know, I don't want to be glib and I don't want to gloss over. This is an intense one. But the thing is, I work with a lot of people, women, and we're often going back to their childhood memories, oftentimes when their parents got divorced. So I haven't been there with them when they got divorced, just the memories. And it's incredibly damaging for children to have to feel conflicted between being able to love both parents it is really difficult. It takes a lot. Like they're going to have to come see me a lot. <laughs> in their adulthood. You know, so I would say that, and I just want to say it's hard because you split up with the person for a reason. They have different ideologies or different, you know, like I get it, but I think we have to be rigorous to not bring our feelings, not talk about that with the kid and to have a space of respect and not bashing of the other parent, because that kid has to figure out in themselves, okay, I love dad, but I can't show my love for dad when I'm with mom. And I love mom, but I can't admit that I love mom when I'm with dad. And this ties them up in knots. It's really bad. It's really sucky for the kid. So I think this is probably, you know, a hard practice, but a really beautiful one. How can you hold this partner that you divorced for a reason, but hold them with respect and find other ways to talk about, like, don't involve your kid. Don't triangulate with your kid. Hmm. Yeah. Super powerful advice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just the final question. Final question. Yeah. This has been so amazing that we could talk for hours. I know. Last two two questions about the final question. What, like, do you have any asks (laughs) of the audience listening, you know, or any other piece that maybe we didn't talk about besides by Liana's book? For sure, by Liana's book, The Feminine Genius. Yeah, it's out now. 
It's out now. Yep. yep. You can do the pre-order thing. Well, it depends when you're listening to this because, you know, Kate's and Mike's podcasts last forever. But <laughs> yes, yes, they really are just, you know, the keep on ticking. But it's out for pre-order. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what's the official launch date? June 1st. Okay, okay great. Awesome. All right. So if you're listening to this before June, get on the pre-launch. Yeah. Yeah, so go buy her book. There's an interview with me in the pre-launch bonuses as well as with my mom. So oh, great. that's a bonus if you get, right? What else? Isn't, yeah, isn't give that your, true, Liana? Give yourself a plug. I let's, think let's, that the pre... Or, there's cool bonuses in the pre-order period and in the launch period, but the okay. pre-order ones are so cool, right? I have this interview series where I basically interviewed a bunch of people who I think are bringing feminine genius to their lives and their work, and Kate and her mom are two of them right at the forefront beautiful, incredible interviews. So that's something, but you can only get it if you buy the book. All right. Go yep. buy it, people. <laughs> okay. So, and then, yeah. Is there anything you would like to leave the listeners with like an ask that you might have for them? Mm, what a great question. This is a, a way I think that like a tiny, it's just like the tip of the iceberg thing. And then the iceberg is pretty profound. So I would just ask, that people take a moment and notice what they're sensing or feeling. So it's as simple as looking and going, okay, I invoking the sense of sight. And I see over there a bright yellow post-it and I'm just going to be, I'm going to expand the sensation of sight. Or what do I smell? I smell the smell of my Earl Grey tea and I'm going to lean into that smell. I'm going to have it become richer and more felt. So you do this with sight, with smell, with touch, with taste, etc., with hearing. And the reason I say this is because there's just no better way to land in your body, no better way to land in the now than what you're feeling. And it can really take you out of any kind of self-flagellation or overly planning for the future and really land you in the now. And really land you with an aspect of feminine genius, which is sensuality. Mm. that all the achievement in the world doesn't have a place to land. Like, like you can't feel pride. You can't feel satisfaction if you're not actually present to what you're feeling and in your body, which is why we have achievement junkie as a kind of addiction. And so I just want to ask that we get more sensual because <laughs> I think it's very healthy. Like it really, the iceberg that taps into is presence and health and noticing your life even before the, you know, the next prize is won. I love that. Yeah. I like the, it's, yeah, it's, I just discovered that achievement doesn't bring happiness. That was like, Kate's like, you didn't know this. So, so we have to learn that several times. Like we, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was pretty mind blowing for me. Like really, I was like, Oh, that's why I got it. Okay. Uh, and then finally, like, what do you want your funeral to be like? Oh, that's a great question. I want it to be a big party. I know this isn't the most original theme in the world, but I do. I want there to be a celebration. I think people will be sad. I hope so. <laughs> but that there's a celebration of life and good music and, you know, good dance to shake our booties to. I think I have this weird theory. It's kind of born on quantum physics theory that when we die, you know, our consciousness goes, and I think our actual body too, you know, it goes and becomes different stuff. So Liana's going to become a sunflower or something. 
So I guess the other thing I would be, what I would love at my funeral is if people started to notice then after I'm out of body, I'm not here anymore. Where do they feel me still? Mm. Because I think that's kind of how this is my little half-baked theory of how it all works. And what an honor, you know, to be in a sunflower and for people that I love to then love that aspect of me through this other thing that they love in their life. I like that. I've never heard that before. No, that's I love great. that so much. What would you like to become? What would I like to become? Well, I don't know if that was an example or if that's like the real deal. Oh, sunflowers are good, but that's a great question. I think I'd rather be a firefly. Hmm. Very cool. Well, you can fly, right? That's always a good human desire. Yeah. Yeah, And yeah, I don't know. Fireflies are magical. They have those. Yeah. They are so magical. Yeah. Talk about turned on. Yeah. Oh, see, come on. (laughs) Liana, this was really just rich. I loved every minute of it. I got so much out of this interview. Thank you for taking the time with us. I'm really grateful for your work. I'm grateful for our friendship. For those listening, please go find Liana at lianasilver.com and go buy the book, The Feminine Genius. Oh, thank you. What an honor to be here with you and so fun. Thank you so much. I appreciated it. Mm, Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Ever feel like you're constantly doing things but aren't able to carve out the time or energy for the things that really matter to you? Mike and I want to share our top five tools for making a life, not just a living. To learn what they are, go to katenorthrup.com forward slash tools. See you on the next episode.